0: to Clientship's Customer Experience Superheroes podcast series. In this series, we explore the superpowers, the hidden qualities needed to be a leader in today's customer experience world. And in this episode, we introduce you to Professor Dr. Phil Klaus. He'll be familiar to many of you, but this is an individual that I've had the pleasure of being associated with for a number of years. Probably the leading expert academic in the world of customer experience. And he's going to spend his time today talking about the importance of customer experience for the ultra high net worth individual. So I am uh, absolutely delighted um, today that we're going to be talking to Professor Dr. Phil Klaus. Uh, Welcome.
1: Thank you so very much for having me, Christopher. And you, of course, as a friend can call me Phil without all the title
0: that's going to make it much easier. So thank you very much, Phil.
1: Well, look, um, this is great.
0: Uh, I'm, I'm delighted we finally got you onto our, our podcast. Um, but um, And you and I, I've been very privileged to, to work with you. I've, I've worked with your studies and uh, I've learned from them massively as a customer experience professional. But obviously our, our listeners, some of them, God forbid, may not know who you are. So would you mind just giving us a couple of minutes introduction in terms of uh, your role in customer experience and, and, and the activities that you're up to.
1: Yes, of course. Thank you so very much, Christopher, for giving me the opportunity. I'm of course, delighted to have the opportunity to talk with you and our audience today. I am believe I'm globally considered one of the leading customer experience strategists and researchers, whatever that means. I always say perceptions are reality, so if people talk this way about me, it's just going to be fine. Before I became an academic, I had a real job, as I often mentioned. So I was a senior marketing manager and while being a senior marketing manager, I often encountered the shortcomings of all the tools, toys, and technologies we in marketing and in customer experience are so obsessed about. And while encountering them, I found out there's no silver bullet for me. These things. And whenever we had something offered from the likes of McKinsey, from a business school, or from whomever it is, it worked, but it only worked for a limited amount of time. Mm-hmm. And exactly this mindset led my former MBA program director to suggest that I become a researcher. <laughs> as he said, as a scholar, you can take four years out of your life, dedicated exclusively find an answer to the question that you could never answer as a manager. And I thought, despite the poor payment that you receive as an academic in comparison to be a a marketing professional, I thought that sounds like a very enticing proposition. And from this moment, I never looked back. So we started to explore how you can measure customer experience in the most efficient and effective way. Because according to Peter F. Trucker, only what gets measured gets managed. And this was always my credo, and it's one thing that always reflected very well with our managerial audience, being a manager myself. And from there on, there was no stopping back. Once we know this measurement is superior to everything else, there are some that outperform the others by 600% in terms of profitability. But we looked at both sides. So we looked at what works and what doesn't work. And from there on, we just uh, went farther and farther, looked more into why in some cases it works, why in some cases it doesn't work, what are the resources you need, the capabilities, how should customer experience be done, what is working, and we, uh, during this time, we also busted a lot of myths, mm-hmm. you know, this customer experience, such as the Net Promoter Score works. Uh, satisfaction doesn't work. Negative worth is positive word of mouth. Can I link customer experience to profitability and all these fascinating things. And then of course we expanded and extended it in all kinds of different segments, different industry, different countries, different continents. So um, by Having the opportunity as a researcher, and I know I'm now uh, longer than two minutes (laughs) talking about this, but forgive me and my enthusiasm and my passion for customer experience. By collecting all this data, we now have a very good understanding what works and what doesn't work. But of course, being uh, a scholar and a researcher and academic, we do not often reach the managerial audience because they commonly think we tell them things that already know in a language they can hardly understand. Sure. But with my managerial background, this is slightly different. And we just recently looked into the ultra-high net worth individuals. Ooh, the uber-rich, as wow. they call it. They're billionaires. And everybody told me, right from the start, that first of all, not only luxury is entirely different from all the research you did before, but the ultra-high net worth individuals are completely different from what you've researched or believe you know, and we said, well, we always love a challenge, so let's take a deeper look into that, and surprise, surprise, um, (laughs) the hypothesis, for the lack of a better word, that we had at the beginning that they are not different in any way, shape or form from uh, somebody buying toothpaste or how to choose uh, one car or one brand over the other, are entirely similar to the ultra-high net worth individuals. So no surprise there for us, but for the others researching it and thinking about it and working in the industry, it was a rude wake-up call. But the most interesting part for us was when you think of luxury, one thing I love when you talk to luxury managers, they always tell you our job is to exceed expectations. So every time we meet a luxury client or a luxury company that would like to, uh, how shall I say, take advantage of the insights that we offer, we go through a very nice, small exercise. Mm -hmm. We say, okay, let's do the following. Every single one of you writes down the expectations you would have as a customer choosing your service, your product, or your experience, write them down. And after that, we collect them and try to synthesize and summarize it. And most of the time you cannot get them on one slide. Right. So there are two, three, four, very stars. varied. Said, exactly. So I said, okay, now we got four people of yours, and look at these expectations. Do you believe you can meet these expectations just from you four? And everybody says, oh, that's impossible. <laughs> I said, okay, now how many of your, is, how many people is in your client base? And they say uh, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands. I said, okay, now multiply this with the number of your clients. Yeah. Uh, I believe we get your point. (laughs) And the point is just to meet expectations. Yeah. And I always ask them, but you say you're going to exceed expectations. And by telling somebody that you exceed expectations, you do what? You raise expectations. So the chances, that a customer, client, patient will be dissatisfied becomes significantly larger. Larger. And you created that yourself,
0: it's your own doing.
1: Exactly, it's you who manage the expectations. Mm. And they say, yeah, but everybody in luxury does that. You have to exceed expectations. I said, "Um, to be quite honest, according to a research of a dear friend of mine, the only thing that you can do by doing this delight strategy is to light your company into bankruptcy.
0: <laughs> I do remember um, hearing Ferrari, and this may be a myth, but Ferrari estimates just how many customers are going to want a car that year, and then they reduce production by 10% to help manage expectations that you possibly won't get a Ferrari this year, um, as opposed to, you know, sort of laying on extra production to to meet the greater demand. And I, I guess that's, that's the difference between... Um,
1: smart luxury brands and and others excellent point you raised there and in luxury they call that um, aspiration
0: mhm mhm so Phil, let's, and- let's 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 just take a step back there so um thank you so much for kind of sharing that 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 history of of where you've come from and kind of i think anyone listening to that will recognize the credibility and what you say is underpinned by science. As opposed to sort of you know what you've you've read on the pages of uh, popular magazines it's actually underpinned by science and not only that you've undertaken it and i know from being involved in delivering some of that uh the work you've done um it's incredibly powerful when it's presented to to organizations and it's also award-winning so therefore it comes with that that market distinction that you want but um if, if i can just take you back to the point around ultra high net worth because working with many organizations we we get to deal with you know the mass affluent we get to deal with the high net worth and we all have these labels and kind of a think we know what category they fall into but could you just help us understand how you know how different the ultra high net worth is i mean are there trillions of these individuals running around the world or or are we talking about quite an exclusive group of uh, potential customers here
1: In order to answer this question, I have to get a step back. Mm -hmm. In luxury, we have nine different sectors, and three of the sectors are fine arts, Mm -hmm. private aviation, which means your helicopter, private jet, and so on, Mm -hmm. and the yachts and super yachts. So three of uh, the nine sectors or the nine markets in the luxury sector are exclusively driven by the ultra-high net worth individuals. You can see three parts of a third of all luxury is based upon one segment. And who are these people? An ultra-high net worth individual is normally defined as somebody who has a, a minimum net worth, meaning disposable income, of 30 million US dollars. 0.003% 0.003% of our population <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> well, and when you look at these kind of things we thought well let's look at these people you know and find out why they do what they do because at the end of the day being in Monaco and working with the great people in Monaco and the industry in Monaco and the key players there we have a, a unique situation Monaco uh, is normally related to two things it's mm-hmm. Formula 1 mm-hmm. because the Grand Prix and secondly yachting
0: Yeah,
1: and in particular super yachts so we're talking super yachts and mega yachts which are defined by a yacht that's at least 30 meters long and sells for an average of 10 millions
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and
1: uh, the farther you go up The higher the numbers will get. Sure. So just to give you an idea, in 2018 all the builders together sold 58 super yachts worldwide.
0: So that's every provider, every boatyard, every... The complete industry. 58 of them.
1: 58. 58. That was it in one year.
0: Well a good year, was it?
1: A good year? uh, 2019 was actually a little bit better yeah uh and 2020 won't be quite the sure. same as no no but uh, looking at this despite uh, looking at a very small sample size there's a lot of money in there
0: mm-hmm.
1: and for example you have give or take 1200 people who could be buying a super yacht worldwide
0: 1200
1: okay. people okay 1200. And uh, we went out and asked people if they believe we could conduct research in this industry. Mm. And everybody we talked to in the industry said, no, this is impossible because of privacy. People don't talk to, they don't even talk to us. And we said, well, they will talk to us for the reason that you mentioned before. Our master is the truth rather than the paycheck or a consultancy agreement and being scientists, we probably have different methods and different rigour on how to talk to people. And when people, when your respondent clearly feels that you're interested in what to say, instead of interested in taking something out that they can take advantage of, the conversation is an entirely different one. And uh, in the short period of time, in our first research, we talked to people who have or purchased... 50 plus yachts. This was our sample, Mm -hmm. which was unheard of in the industry. (laughs) And How did you pull that off? And we said uh, the regular way you ask people Mm -hmm. and once they get to know you, they recommend you to somebody else to talk to. It's very easy, you know, when they believe there's a value in that. And one of the things that clearly came out, which we were not aware of, is that we, for the first time ever, delivered not only for the industry, not only for business research, but for everyone involved in that segment, we mapped out the customer journey of an ultra high net worth individual. Right. Because all the data and insights that were available were about uh, where they come from, how old they are, how many billions they have. Not why they do the things they do.
0: I see. So it was much more. What's, what was the What was there before was much more sort of demographic uh, as, as opposed to how they engage and interact with organisations.
1: Exactly. Wow. It was ever so often the how, when, what people are doing, rather than why people are doing Great. what they do. And once we presented why people are doing what they do. We got, Phil, I heard you uh, rocked the boat. (laughs) (laughs) I said, yeah, forgive the pun, but I guess that's what we did. (laughs) And we got two kinds of reaction. We got uh, one part of the audience said, we don't believe it, Mm -hmm. you know, what you're presenting. I said, well, um, it's not about belief. We are not a church. It's not a religion. You know, we present facts and the facts are as follows. We hope that they will not apply to your particular case, but we did find no evidence that will support your claim. Right. And then you have the other part of the audience who sat there and immediately after the presentation approached us and said, I believe you got it 100% right. I said, in our gut, we always believed this could be the truth. But we never had any evidence it was just a gut feeling we could never pinpoint it we have no research we don't know how to conduct it and uh, as uh, a dear friend told me also he said we build boats we have no clue about customers
0: <laughs> which is interesting isn't it because the uninitiated looking in the assumption is of course you must understand your customer better than anyone else you've got so few products you're selling They've got such high expectations, which we realize now are set by the industry and not by the customer themselves. But looking outside in, you think, well, you must be getting it right. You cannot afford to get it wrong at that level. But from what you're saying they happily dive into an engine or to, to buy the, the best finish possible on the, on the planet Earth. But when it comes to, are you responsive? Do you resolve my issues? Are you managing my expectations? All these customer requirements, are, 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 they're alien to them.
1: I couldn't have said it better myself. You can write the next summary of our day.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> No, it's exactly as you say. It's about uh, managing expectations. And the interesting part is uh, uh, when uh, people ask me, how would you summarize? I want to have the ultimate tailor-made experience. Yeah because it doesn't get any more tailor-made than having a super yacht built to where everything is to your specification. Mm. We had some uh, interviews with marvelous people who told us later on, it's so great when you walk through the boat, no matter how large it is, and you remember the moment where you chose this door knob over another and how <laughs> it fits <laughs> now perfectly. You know, the joy of creation is yeah. quite there. And, and I mean, Uh, And to be quite honest, um, while people might say the segment of uh, a super yacht is the same people who buy a super yacht, buy a private jet, private aviation, or their private helicopters. However, the emotional attachment is a completely different one. One is transportation, the other one is the ultimate luxury in terms of there's something that you do not need. There's nothing more emotional than buying, having and owning a super yacht. And to summarize it, I say everybody we are talking about in the industry always use one saying, and the saying goes, there are only two days of happiness in the life of a yacht owner. The day he buys the yacht and the day he sells the yacht. That's
0: very, very interesting. So the whole creation part of the yacht is a a massive part of the experience then. And I'm guessing this is because it's invariably fraught with challenges, both in terms of the yacht itself, but the... You know maybe if you if you are ultra high net worth your availability uh to coincide when the yacht is available to coincide when the weather's great all those factors rarely align to make it a perfect experience for you so you you remember back to the previous experiences being the utopian time rather than that time we were out and we went to Corsica and it rained miserably and I missed that business meeting and it was a disaster of a day you remember that build day, and then I guess it gets to a point where you go, "What am I doing?" and you sell it, and then, and then the burden of it is is the the relief you you have is gone.
1: It it is uh, it's for us. It was amazing to see um, what a yacht owner describes be the experience of owning the yacht. Because um, at the end of the day, I compared it with uh, Dante's. Nine gates of hell. Okay, <laughs> this is how yacht owners describe owning a yacht—the process of getting towards it. Yeah, but then the most amazing thing is when you, you should see that the, how their how their faces, how their eyes light up when they talk about this unique experience, mm-hmm. these moments that they shared with their friends, family, and beloved one on the yacht that they will never forget. Mm -hmm. They say, these moments are, it's like the MasterCard commercial, priceless. (laughs) And it's exactly like this. They say, in this moment, you forget everything. Mm -hmm. All Mm -hmm. the pain that comes with it. Mm -hmm. And let's be quite honest, um, uh, the owners of Superyacht describing it as running a small company. Okay. And most of these people are entrepreneurs, yeah. you know, serial entrepreneurs, so they know how it is to run a company. But often their uh, friends and family then said, We wanted that to enjoy our quality time together. So the six weeks maximum that you probably spent on a yacht, if you're only in one location, meaning you're either in the Caribbean or you're either at the Mediterranean. You know, not a lot of people use it for 12 months because Mm -hmm. the logistic to bring it from one part of the world to the other is just horrible. And they say, okay, so I use it for six weeks. But the other um, remaining 46 weeks of the year, it's just a pain Mm -hmm. to deal with captains, um, managing companies, staff, insurance accountants, lawyers and everything that comes with it and uh, they don't speak too highly of the entire service ecosystem. Right. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, the, the, the comments are never flattery and they range from um, failed real estate agents yep. to describe the brokers, the sales side of it, all the way to corruption.
0: Right okay
1: so So a broad church it's not flattery
0: to say the least there's a couple of things in there one is um i think you've just in that last response given the most compelling reason i can think of as to why it's so important to really understand your customers before you embark upon anything Too, too often i think organizations will get a bit of a a feedback, it could be aggregated data, maybe they'd uh, got the debrief from a focus group and, and and maybe they've even sat in on one viewing gallery. But but actually, well, the way you've just described it, it's kind of, you know, as Dante, the way you talk about how you see their eyes light up, that's what research is really about, isn't it? So you can actually feel the customer, you can understand where they are. And that allows you to get to, I think, that level, of something I've never really thought about before, that if you're going to own a yacht, Whilst everyone else is away escaping and having fun, having a holiday, you're running a business. So that moment where everything is going perfectly, it's very temporary. Because then three minutes later, someone taps you on the shoulder and says, "Ah, oh, really sorry, but the second chef seems to have a sickness bug. I think we're going to need to get a new chef at the next point. And then you're back into the world of managing micromanaging, which is what you probably do as you say you're an entrepreneur, you manage anyway. So it's not escapism, it becomes another project for you rather than being the escapism you imagined it to be. So I I think you don't get to that level of insight and understanding unless you really do your research properly. And when you do, it only then allows you to think, how can I help make the situation better for the customer? Because I think most people would have answered that brief to say, them a bigger shinier boat make them feel more loved but actually from what you've just said there the solution is a lot more complicated and actually what you need to do is to make sure that in your yachting business you employ people who have got you know luxury management qualifications who who understand and empathize with an ultra high net worth not with yachts it's about empathising with the ultra high net worth so thank you for sharing that because I think that's really just incredible insight and and obviously it goes to show the difference between you know sort of well, not doing any research doing what you think ticks the box and and having as you say the truth is your master which means i can keep going here with my research i have no i can keep going until i fight if i don't find it i can keep going which is a luxury in itself you know truth is a luxury isn't it so uh, thank you for sharing that phil that's that's quite incredible
1: because we are in monaco and uh we are quite happy to work and assist the people. For example, uh, one week ago we had a meeting uh, where we present our findings to the Monaco Yacht Cluster. Yep. And they, uh, because one thing that's uh, also for the ultra-high networks, net worth individuals, especially in the super yacht context, is that you work with a lot of people, a lot of different stakeholders, great service ecosystem, and they're never managed perfectly together. So, at the end of our discussion, after we presented the finding, we were asked uh, where we see the future of the industry heading to. You have a one stop solution. Okay. A broker house that will also build shipyards and has managing and everything together with it and provides you with the right crew, with the right captain, with the right people and deliver it on time. Or you will have somebody who builds boats who acquires other resources and capabilities like sales, yachting, tax, accountancy, mm-hmm. and uh, captain, crew, membership, hire the right people, human resources, in order to get one package. In particular, the people who buy for the very first time often have the feeling that they are being taken for a ride, to mm-hmm. say the least. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is, uh, very, uh, this is something that the industry struggles with. Yeah. Because, uh, while billionaires, uh, we have more and more, there's less and less interest in super yachts, right? You know, and this is something the industry clearly understands. They have to get back to the experience, mm-hmm. what people experience with us, and need to not reinvent how to do it, but go back to the basics.
0: That's a really oh, interesting. So that's the future of the the industry there, which has sort of done it to itself by not providing the levels of experience that customers are looking for so so if i'm interesting you know it's an interesting area and and kind of what you realize with customer experience is whilst customer experience is a horribly generic term that is so multifaceted it's also when you look at specific sectors the specifics in those sectors so in the agriculture industry the the yachting industry they require a certain ability confidence uh, and a set of kind of super Um, Powers when it comes to kind of customer experience. So, if I was to try and leap into the world of luxury management um, and 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 high ultra high net worth, what would be your advice to customer experience professionals who are looking at that sector and thinking this is one that I I want to add value to? That's a tough one.
1: Let me put it in this way: Uh, Mm -hmm. we look now at over two thousand companies, and we can clearly see that. uh, that there's a DNA of customer experience. There's a reason why all of us uh, make our decision in the way we make our decision. And there are some moderating and mediating effects according to the context. But the way we make decisions is always the same. And the way we should measure this uh, the customer experience is always the same. Because uh, I look at our measurement and uh, we know it works wherever it is. If you sell nuclear power plants, you know, or if you sell software out of Seattle, uh, the experience that they are looking for. But the, the tough one to crack is what shall I do in order to get into this business? Well, we are fortunate enough to have uh, in Monaco at IOM, International University of Monaco, a program that's uh, focusing on luxury and brand management, a master mm-hmm. degree. This is number one that you can choose and then you can have a specialization in for example, um, diamonds and jewelry, mm-hmm. transportation, yachting, whatever you like to. So you can go, you get the foundation of how it is, what you can do in order to manage the customer experience in luxury. Yeah. And then you can go in the second part of uh, our curriculum, we can go into more depths of something that's in particular of interest to you. And uh, I have to say, I'm really delighted that because uh, our partners, not only in Monaco but worldwide, love our work. And Go for on. example, when we walk over to the Monaco Yacht Show, there's not uh, a minute goes by that a former student or some manager grabs us and they thinks a lot. You guys are the greatest, <laughs> you know. And are, that makes us very proud. And but most of the uh, most of uh, the companies or the managers don't have the time to take a year out of there life in order to acquire that kind of skill set. And this is why we work with great people like you and are developing already executed and offer executive education programs at IOM, which target in particular the customer experience management, the customer journey map of the ultra high net worth individuals, or even the customer journey mapping in general. So these are the kind of offerings where we take insights from great people like you who are out there at the front working with the people and our research and insights and combine it something that they can have either on demand, Mm -hmm. in a course, online or come to Monaco whenever that may be possible in the future or we come to you in order to deliver you the insights that really help you not only differentiate your company and differentiate you uh, as a manager in the skills that are required, but give you a sustainable competitive advantage, because this is what uh, understanding the customer experience is all about.
0: Thank you, Phil, and
1: and um, uh, yeah, and thank
0: thank you for mentioning those pieces. I mean, it's been great to be involved, and and, and um, most grateful to be involved. I mean, I know you have your own accreditation um, because uh, kind of you you recognise the importance of changing consumers' behaviour uh, as being sort of a very reliable indicator of. Um, customer experience success, you know, you you, you try something, it changed the behavior in the way you wanted to, it must have been a success, much more reliable than just asking, are you satisfied? And then two minutes later, your behavior goes back to what it was before. But I just want to ask this particular point. So if I was looking at getting into luxury management, um, and, and luxury customer experience, which path would you say I should go down? Should I focus on understanding yachts? Or should i focus on understanding the ultra high net worth customer what would be your advice
1: ultra high net worth customer yeah. you which know, is understand the customer experience yeah. you know and there are also companies out there that will help you in order to help also your managers to gain other certifications that help in order to understand the basics of customer experience like mm-hmm. pkcxi.com you yep. know where you can look at and you have uh, without having to go through all of this, have an opportunity to get this knowledge. But focus with the client. Yeah. what the, the clients, the values that drive our decisions do not change. You know, I always love that when companies say, oh, he is a financial service customer, he's an insurance customer, he's a car customer. I said, no. He's a customer, and <laughs> you is a little part in his life or her life, not more. <laughs> so he is a customer every day of the week, and the way he chooses one car over the other is the same that he chooses one super yacht over the other, or the toothpaste one over <laughs> the other, because the way that he or she makes decision is the same, just the context is a different one. So you need to understand the human being. So if you understand the ultra high net worth individual, it doesn't matter if you work for a a, a jet company, a super yacht company, a fine art dealership, or if you work with somebody who deals in antique cars, Mm -hmm. because you know what kind of experience this individual is looking for. If you know what makes people do, why they do the things you do, Anything else is just a a context and you adapt accordingly to
0: it. So that's the first thing, isn't it? Really understand what matters most to your customers, what changes their behavior. And then when it comes down to whether that, as you wonderfully put, whether it's choosing your toothpaste or choosing your luxury yacht, (laughs) the things that matter most, whilst the execution differs the things that matter to me as an individual will be consistent
1: oh yeah absolutely I mean uh, it's kind of your credo I love that about you Christopher what matters most for the customer mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know and what matters most for the customer is the only thing that should matter for the company yeah, yeah. because the people who understand that are the ones that outperform others by 600% there you even go. 9 out of 10 do not generate profits but that's, I guess,
0: it's for... That's another podcast. So, yeah, we, we, we did a whole podcast on the how you can get it so wrong, which is, uh, <laughs> is something I know from, from the work you've done, you've been able to kind of identify that blueprint of how to get it wrong. And uh, you and I both know we can see organisations out there that you can just see from what they do where, where, where they're going wrong. But this has been about um, getting it right. And I think you've opened a window into a world that... Very few of us get a chance to, to, to look into. But I think you've presented it in a way that makes it feel a lot more accessible to, to many than perhaps they believed it was as well. And, uh, and yeah, toothpaste and luxury yachts. Maybe that'll become the title of uh, this podcast. Um, uh, well, Phil, look, it's, as, as always, it's, it's a pleasure. Um, it, it's a delight to kind of get you on tape so that we can actually share your thinking with the rest of the world as well. So um, I'm going to sign off there thank you so much congratulations uh, by the way with the work you're doing in the yachting industry i mean you're you're breaking boundaries there you know you're you're creating first so congratulations on that that's really important and i look forward to hearing uh, many more similar conquests across the world of luxury management as you achieve them so thank you once again and and phil you know you don't need me to say this but you are my customer experience superhero so delighted to have you on this podcast
1: Thank you so very much for your kind words, Christopher. And I have a question for you. Please. If I if I'm a superhero, which <laughs> one would I be?
0: Ah, well, you, there are six powers to the superhero. You know the the analytical capability, um, the interpretation, the stakeholder management. So you kind of have them all. So I think probably you'd have to be the entire Marvel Comics range. I think you'd be Stan Lee, the creator. Of the superhero, maybe that's your role. Maybe you don't like that because it, you know it ages you a bit. But maybe you're the creator of the superhero, pulling all the strings I, behind like, the scenes.
1: I thought you would say, "Proper Sake, Savior." <laughs> <laughs> I take Stanley anytime. <laughs> thank
0: you. Yeah, he's the godfather of it, isn't he He created the superhero. So there you go. All right, Phil. Well, thank you ever so much, and uh, keep well, and uh, speak again soon. Thank you. Thank you.